Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Football's back and Whole Foods Market is everything you need for a delicious tailgater watch party. Level up your game day hosting with marinated chicken wings, chicken sausages, hot dogs, and more. Headed to a friend's house? On the way, grab crowd-pleasing snacks from Whole Foods Market, like late July tortilla chips and Primal Kitchen queso dip. And don't forget the beer. Very important. Just check out that local selection. Elevate game day with Whole Foods Market. Must be 21 plus. Please drink responsibly. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. What do your music playlists and podcast feeds have in common? They're a reflection of you. And that's how the State Farm personal price plan works, too. It gives you options to personalize your coverage so you can protect what you care about most at an affordable price that's just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Go to statefarm.com today to create your State Farm personal price plan. Prices vary by state. Options selected by customer. Availability and eligibility may vary. Hello and welcome to the Uncovered Podcast, episode 48. I'm Behram Kazi. You can find me at Def Mango on Twitter. And with me, of course, is Jared Kimber. You can find him absolutely everywhere. So, first up on our long itinerary today, Jared, is the Asia Cup. Now, I'm not sure how much you have caught it because there's, there's been a lot of games. But um, there was an India-Pakistan game. Kind of got washed out. Only had Half one the in game. <laughs> yeah, game. Yeah. Uh, but... You know, there was a proper throwback to the 90s by Pakistan's pace attack, a healthy dose of nostalgia, as Andrew Fidel Fernando of Crick Info put it, because you had a left-arm seamer who was moving it both ways, and then you had a right-armer with a beautiful action who had India's batters on their toes, and an express pacer as well who was absolute theatre. So yeah, what did you make of that? Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting. I think it goes back to what I've said a lot, which is, you know, that the top order is the most important, uh, you know, role within the way that India play, right? They There's not a lot of batting depth there um, in a way that perhaps England, and England's the only team that you would really compare this to, but in the way that England have. And so India have traditionally um, gone quite consistent and played within themselves. But Hardik Pandey's ability to play both roles now, mm. th- that should be perfect, right? Yeah. You, I would hope he doesn't have to play this role very often into the future. But if he does... Um, they certainly got to get something out of that. But you look, they've made it to they made it to what 266? Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yes, they yeah. did. They made it to 266, uh, despite having lost, I don't know, whatever it was, you know, uh four for fifty odd, four for sixty odd. Um hmm. I'm an all Australian then rather than sixty for four. But uh but yeah, so there are good signs in it from India's perspective as well. Um, but yes, I mean, you know, Shaheen is 
that's kind of what you needed to see, right? That's the, the mm. spell that you wanted to see from Shaheen, um, you know, uh, Nazim Shah and, and Harris Ruff. The fact that they got all of them, my only concern would be, and you probably already know what this is going to be, is that, again, we haven't really seen the spinners take wickets, mm-hmm. right? That's yeah. not a concern if your seam bowlers are going to take 10 wickets every game, of course. <laughs> but, yeah. it, but it is something I think worth remembering and thinking about going ahead just in case this is a bigger issue, right, of... Um, you know where where we are at the moment with with Pakistan is I don't think anyone had outside of maybe Shaheen's injuries I don't think anyone had massive questions around whether Pakistan were a good bowling attack. Um, mm. You know the bigger question uh, is a, a are they going to be able to keep the totals low enough for their batters to be able to uh, chase them? And that was certainly one that they should have chased, or at least would have been what 70, 75% favorite mm-hmm. um, in that. I didn't see win viz or anything, but they should have been a pretty healthy favorite. Um, and the the you know, the guys are fit, but the the overarching conversation is still with all that advantage that the seam bowlers gave them, they still didn't get any wickets out of their spinners. Mm-hmm. That, that's that. The the point is with strike bowling and limited overs cricket is we have never seen a bowling attack in limited overs cricket that is so dominant that at certain points you don't need your batters to step up and that you don't mm. need your... Because, because in white ball cricket, part of the skill is not getting out, right? Like of as as in you can you can overcome those sorts of things and there's going to be a couple of games. And I can't remember what the average is of opening batters in one day cricket in the first and over, but it's really high, right? Yeah. So we know that those guys, especially at the top level, are, are going to be able to do that. And so we're not expecting Pakistan to be able to do this every particular mm-hmm. game. We know that the batters still have within them to make 280 to 340, you know, regularly, I think, uh, with the Pakistan lineup. So that will mm-hmm. win a couple of games as well. But I would assume that in Asian conditions, especially Indian conditions, Indian and mm-hmm. Sri Lankan are probably the two most important, where you really do need the spinners to be able to take wickets as well. That didn't happen. Other than that, Pakistan should be pretty happy. I don't think India should be that unhappy because I think if you mm-hmm. get the top lopped off and your five and six make runs like that, especially at a good rate too, they were around run a ball there yeah. too, weren't they? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, again, that's that's. I think in no, your number six these days, you you want them to have the you basically want Butler plus Tony. Right, which is yeah. a bit unfair on any human being, but you want someone who can come in at the thirty-five over mark, hmm. face you know fifty balls, and maybe score eighty to ninety runs, um, hmm. you know, for you at, at their top end. And you also want someone with the ability to stop the rot a little bit, mm-hmm. right? They don't have to be at that Butler or Donia level of either of those two skills, but you want that combination. Harding's a pretty decent version of that I would have thought so, yeah um, I was gonna say yeah. that combination kind of fits the bill for Hardik and he's just this really unorthodox kind of batter as well like crazy arm strength right those pull mm-hmm. shots that he plays man has ice in his veins always performs versus Pakistan but here's an interesting one now we were talking about India's wicket keeping conundrum and how we both thought that KL Rahul would be the guy to you know take up the gloves but you know he wasn't fully fit Ishan Kishin was playing in the middle order and he performed in the middle order scored 80 odd versus a very very good Pakistan attack and now all of a sudden you're thinking do they persist with Ishan Kishin then or do they bring in Rahul when he's back that's a bit of a you know issue or maybe a good problem to have for India what do you say it's not a bad problem and mm. it will be seen that way, of course, by people. But I don't think it's a bad problem. Here's what I would say. If they thought that they that Kyle Rahul should play beforehand, mm. 
they should probably still play him because that is the plans of the of the system that they want to go ahead with. That's not mm-hmm. what Indian fans are going to want to hear. Indian fans are definitely going to want to hear Ishan Kishan is making runs, and <laughs> they'll they'll tell me that Kyle can't play under pressure, despite the many occasions where he has played under pressure before. But <laughs> that is the thinking. Whereas I actually think the more aggressive option is to pick KRL if you just think he's better and, and will give you m- more assistance. The defensive option is just to go, oh, there's someone else in form. We'll pick the other guy in form. Um, mm. And, you know, we see that a lot. And I I just think for a World Cup, you're better off having your more experienced player and going going at it from that that position. Now, Bayram, let's not, not be silly here. There's also a possibility that they weren't sure of who mm. their best player was. And if that's the case, Ishan Kishan might have come ahead. Um, you know, left-hand option as well. You know, a little bit of flexibility from that. Yeah, they, they do that's lose, a big one. Yeah, they do lose a little bit by Rashad Punt not being available, you know, as a, as a left-hander. Um, but also, so, Ishan Kishan is not as impressive behind the stumps. He dropped a dolly today versus Nepal, right? So, I mean, these are tough decisions. Yeah, but K.R. Rolls, not. Mm, I mean, that's also fair. I, I I don't know how bad your wiki-keeping would need to be to keep him out of the team, <laughs> Bayram. But I'm not, you know, uh, it's... Uh, you know, a drunk Johnny Bairstow, perhaps. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I get your point. I, I do get your point. Mm. Look, Ishan Kishan's not a great wicketkeeper. Um, mm. I don't think either of those two options are particularly great wicketkeepers from from that perspective. Mm. So I'm not too too worried about that. But, yeah, I think um, I I think that's a much better place to be in. Um, mm. my, my I suppose what I would be saying if I was within that camp and, you know, talking to Raul Dravid or the analysts or the coaches or, or selectors or whatever – I would be if they were asking my opinion. I'd be saying, "Are we making this decision just because we think Ishan Kishan is better, hmm. right? And he gives us something that Kyle Roll doesn't give us, or are we making this decision because he's just made seventy in this game, right? right? And and he's averaging a hundred over the first what fifteen hundred? Sorry, he's averaging around fifty over the first fifteen games that he's played hmm. because World Cups ge- generally are not particularly won by that. And look, I think Ishan Kishan's a real talent. But I think if you do a deep dive for his record, he hasn't been as incredible um, as some other players have. So um, that's not to say that he, he you know, you would make a mistake by not picking him or anything along those mm. lines. Um, but I, I, I would never pick someone based on them making this one-off innings in a World Cup squad because that's where you end up with a bunch of players who aren't at the top level and aren't the best players, but they just happen to hit form at the right time. And I don't think that's how you win World Cups. Yeah, that's fair. And I mean, coming back to Pakistan for a bit, of course, we mentioned how good the pace attack was. That setup that Shaheen had versus Rohit, you know, two went away, one came back in. You know, any fast bowlers delight. And it was a dream dismissal. And, you know, Naseem and Shah- uh, Ralph really backed him up well. But you spoke about the spinners, right? Now, mm. Shadab and Nawaz and Agha Salman, they bowled 21 overs. And they went for 133, did not take a wicket. India doubled that score. <laughs> so half of their runs were scored versus the spinners. It might be mm. an area of concern, but you have to take the conditions maybe into, you know, perspective. And also the fact that India are brilliant, like Indian batters are brilliant players of spin, probably some of the best in the world. So here's my question. If Pakistan is playing India again, I don't even know what the venue might be on Sunday. It might be Palakil, it might be Hambantota because Colombo is underwater as we speak. So, I mean, is it worth, you know, trying out a fourth seamer for Pakistan, maybe ahead of Nawaz, maybe Wasim Jr. or something like that? Because, you know, Barbara Azam's captaincy came under scrutiny that he 
took the foot off the pedal in the middle overs where two spinners were bowling in tandem and he didn't bring back a pacer. But then you only have 30 overs for, of pace. So is mm. there any value in bringing in a fourth seamer? Do you think that's a potential ploy to counter India better in the next game? The, the, it's really funny you mentioned that he didn't bring back his seamers in the middle. So I was reading a match report. I want to say it was the 1975 World Cup final. Mm-hmm. Or was it then 79? No, because that was Australia. I know it was Mike Brearley was the captain, so it might have been 79. But but England were playing in a game. And the same thing was said of, of Brearley that, um, that, you know, he didn't make the decision early enough to, to change the um uh the the tempo of the game and it's really funny because i just don't think people understand that like like if you look at this i i guess i'm what what would his overall record would be i'm just going to look it up but off the top of your head right probably averaging in the high 30s he's not like a full-on bowler right he's a part-timer but he can provide you buffer overs you basically (laughs) rely on nawaz and shadab right yeah, so he averages 85 in one-day internationals at the moment. Okay, then. But, what about that's, List A? That's only a couple of games, yeah. List, hmm. list A is 37 uh, at 4.87, less hmm. than a wicket a game. So we'd say he's a, kind of a high-functioning um, hmm. uh, spinner. Because you have him in your squad, I think you have the ability, if you need to, bowl that four-seamer. Hmm. I, I, I don't think I would do it for the next, rest of the Asia Cup. I think if I truly believe that, I think I would keep the same players for the Asia Cup. Try and make this. Uh, hopefully, hope the spinners have a bounce back game in that other game against India, um, and then in the World Cup, if we got to a knockout game or an important game against India, then I would suddenly say, "Oh, actually, we will pick the extra seamer there." Uh, you, this is a warm up tournament. You can yeah. try those sorts of things perhaps in other ways, but I wouldn't want India to even think that was the case. In fact, if I was, you know, uh, Mickey Arthur or Grant Redburn or whoever is doing the press conferences, <laughs> I, would, if, I would love for that question to be asked. And I, hmm. and I would say, of course not. We have two great world-class all-round spinners here. We have Agassar. No, of course. No, we're not going to do that. But in the back of my mind, I'd be like, yeah, if, if we don't think the w- wicket is going to rag next time, we are definitely going in with four quicks. Mm. I don't think they need to trial that. Mohamed Wasim Jr. is a good enough bowler. Uh, you can mm. get him extra reps between now and the World Cup so that he yeah. feels comfortable. You know, you can rest these guys. No one should be playing two games in a row outside maybe the semi-final and final of this Oh, tournament. but they will. You know these guys are playing. No, no, game, I know right? they will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know that. But you're saying, you, I, I'm saying how I would operate this. I'd make sure mm. that my best four seam bowlers were all available. I would probably... If there was a pitch I thought was going to rag, I might actually even leave out a seamer, maybe mm. bring in um, and maybe another all rounder, and uh, try and see and and say to my spinners, uh, "We now got thirty five uh, thirty overs to cover mm. between the three of you. Good luck. <laughs> see see what happens there, because that's the sort of thing that you need to do now. Um, you know, me and Estelle did a podcast that'll be out in a couple of days about the Sri Lankan team. You know, and we don't really know. The Sri Lanka team have two all-rounders. They have Dan and Jay De Silva, who's a batting all-rounder, and they have Hasaranga, who's a bowling all-rounder. Mm. Coming into the World Cup, we don't think that Sri Lanka quite knows what is that best lineup. Is it Hasaranga at seven, um, or is it Dan and Jay uh, De Silva as the, as the fifth bowler, right? Mm. These are the tournaments you should be working that out. And you should, yeah. like, even beforehand, I would have gone in with a plan where I would have said, <clears throat> can we play half the tournament? with one lineup and half the tournament with the other, 
right? And we get mm. to the finals, we pick our best, whatever we think our best 11 is. But let's do that. But as you said, that's not how this, but that, you know, this, this, is, this is not for us. This, this is how I would do things. And this is why they don't <laughs> let me do things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was baffled when Pakistan played their best 11 versus Nepal and then they played the same 11 I versus India. I think you sent India me a WhatsApp, game. didn't you? When it yeah, happened. I did. I was like, <laughs> they played their best 11 and I was like, what the hell? I mean, it's Nepal. You're playing at home. And then, okay, it's a, it's a game versus India. I get it. But it's a dead rubber. You've qualified for the next round. This is a warm-up game in its literal sense. So the fact that they keep playing their first string 11 in a World Cup year with the tournament not too far away in these hot and humid conditions... I don't know what Pakistan is thinking and I don't expect them to rest anyone, which is why, you know, I'm fearful. But like you said, you know, Wasim Jr. is a really, really good bowler as well. He would make most teams in the world. Great exponent of the Yorker and reverse swing. He's quick, much like, you know, his uh, colleagues as well. So, I mean, here's to hoping that these guys don't burn out or break down because Pakistan will need that pace attack if they are to win a trophy this year. But anyway, speaking of seamers... There's another seamer who made a mark in the Asia Cup. And this guy of IPL fame, you know, winner with the CPL, uh, not the CPL, CSK <laughs> as well. Uh, I'm not Matisha. sure if he's won the CPL yet, but one day. Yeah, one day maybe. But he's he's the new Malinga of sorts for Sri Lanka, Matisha Patirana, who Jared, I don't believe was part of Sri Lanka's plans originally. But now with all these injuries and everything, he's coming to the team and he's taking four for 32, bowling Bangladesh out for 165. Blessing in disguise, would you say? Hmm. He's still odd. Um, mm. You know, p- part of the problem is I think he's really upskilled himself at a point where I if, I think if this tournament was a year ago, I, I don't think they would have brought him in. And it's not mm. that they don't think he's talented. It's that he was very one-dimensional. So in T20 cricket, you can basically just bowl, the, you know, your four mm. overs in the last 10. And, you, you know, if that's what you're really good at, you'll be fine. That doesn't quite work in one-day cricket, right? Like, you can't mm. come on at the 30-over mark and bowl 10 overs. You need mm. to be adaptable and be able to bowl different parts of the game and have different kinds of skills. And I don't think he did do that. And I think Ashwin might have put a tweet out suggesting that, you know, clearly there's been – clearly he's getting better at, at that side of things now. And, mm. I mean, if you have a look at the game against Bangladesh, he, you know, it wasn't even death bowling, right? I don't, did Bangladesh yeah. even get to the death in that game? No, no, they so, did not. Right, you know, my man Chanto was kind of batting on his own in that game. Oh yes, so, you know, um, your man Chanto is the leading run scorer in the Asia Cup. Not Babar Azam, not Virat Kohli. It's Nazmul Hussain Chanto who is there at the top. He's got two scores, eighty nine, and then a ton. Leading <laughs> run scorer in my heart, I can tell you that. So, <laughs> I, I think from that point of view, seeing Gip Wickets early on uh, was good. With it, look, it's a blessing in disguise. The, the issue is that all the Sri Lankan bowlers are getting injured. Um, we mm. had this in the last World Cup. This might just be bad strength and conditioning. It might be, a, you know, a physio who's who's trying to get them all to change body shape and it's not working correctly. Could just be dumb luck. It could just be that they have a bunch mm. of bowlers who are injury prone. But, you know, a full strength Sri Lankan bowling lineup is, I think it's a better bowling lineup than Pakistan, right? Mm. And the difference is, is they have the spinners, Right, mm-hmm. they have two strike spinners, and they have they don't have the quality of seam of of Pakistan, but they have four or five really good seamers as well. Which and they'll need four or five because they they might need four or five for the first three games. Then they might need to ship mm-hmm. in three more guys from Sri Lanka. But um, <laughs> that's certainly what happened in the last World Cup. But it's a really really good all round bowling attack. You know, mystery spin, mystery seam, 
you know, a wrist spinner who spins it in both directions, who can whack the ball around a little bit, a spinner who can bowl in the power play and a little bit in the death if you want, a death seam specialist who, who now looks like he can bowl in the middle a little bit more, some nice front, um, f- uh, you know, up front seamers that can nibble it around, and, you know, Chimera if he's ever fit again, you know, proper uh, pace bowler who gives people problems. It's a really good little lineup there. Um, you know, Patharanda, um, I think it takes the pressure off him a little bit, right? Mm. He, he's not he's not being thrown in and they're saying, you are the savior. If I, I talked to Estelle today and she said, if they're fully fit, he probably still doesn't get in the side. That's the best place you want with a, with a young guy like this who hasn't played a lot of international cricket. Right. If he comes in and he can be a, you know, a change of momentum for them, then maybe only need to play him for a couple of games. He would be a fantastic bowler to come in for, you know, you've got a must-win game uh, to make it through to the semifinals, and you're playing a team where they you know, just a lot of guys just haven't played against him at all. Perfect situation mm. for him to be in. This is why I want the bigger squads that I was talking about in the other <laughs> thing. Um, but, yeah. yeah, look, a really good game by Sri Lanka. That's 11 wins in a row for them now. Mm-hmm. They haven't been tested particularly a lot in those 11 games, and they did win, I think, one out of eight or one out of nine before that. So, I mean, they were, there was a reason they were in the qualifiers, right? It wasn't an accident, right? But they dominated <laughs> yeah. the qualifiers. Um, as I said, really good bowling lineup, batting lineup. I mean... Their batting's a little bit like Pakistan in a T20, right? Where actually it's probably not quite as consistent. But, you know, there's a lot of anchors there. They're going to get yeah. a score, but it's going to be under par. And it's really up to the, whether their bowlers can dominate a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, uh, they've got another strike weapon here. That that's yeah. They might have six strike weapon bowlers coming into the World Cup. Can, is there another team with that many strike weapons? I can't think of any. You know, I mean, Pakistan is probably the one that comes closest. Pakistan, I think again, maybe South spinners. Africa. I'd have to have a look at yeah. the full squad of South Africa, perhaps. Um, I mean, they've got an interesting uh, lineup, right? If, if Shamsi and Keshav Maharaj both play, then that's interesting. Mm. Yeah. Oh, I think they have to, don't they? I mean, I think mm-hmm. I think they'll do pretty much what they did in the last World Cup, but they think their batters are better now. Um, whether mm-hmm. I mean, I think they're definitely right that their batters are better now. Um, whether that bowling lineup holds up or not, I, I m- my concern always in a World Cup is when you have a team like South Africa, if you lose five wickets in a World Cup and you're going up against you know Shaheen and Bumrah and mm-hmm. you know Stark, one stage or another, you're going to lose five wickets right yeah. early on. That's where I worry about the whole South Africa method. They don't even have like a Shardul at you know eight, right? Mm-hmm. You know they don't have anything like that. That's the problem. Marco Janssen, if he plays, can provide them with some sort of death threat. Death threat. Yeah, but Marco Janssen, when he's been playing, has batted at seven. You know, mm. <laughs> if Marco Janssen's at eight, again, I feel a little bit more comfortable. And you have a, you know, right. even a George Lindy type player um, mm. at seven. But their best lineup probably is still, the, you know, the 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 five bowlers with the six batters, and yeah. you know that's where they are. But yeah, uh, what what else? Um, Asia Cup. Uh, I thought. Yeah, well, uh, I thought Mehdi, a little bit of Mehdi Nepal Hassan. today. I thought they did well. Yeah, Nepal actually, I think, uh, outdid themselves. They scored 230 versus India and, uh, well, it was a 10-wicket defeat and 238-run yeah. defeat versus Pakistan. But, you know, good for them. Good exposure. But I want to talk about Mehdi Hassan Miraz. Oh, yeah. He no, scored a ton. Uh, there yep. was no Litton Das. There was no Tamim Iqbal. Bangladesh did not have an opener. Up comes Mehdi in a crisis. Scores a ton. You know, in that Shanto game, in which Shanto also scored a ton, he was critical towards Bangladesh making 335. And that's amazing, right? He's their leading spinner in a way. And he's gotten a ton up as an opener. So that's, that bodes or augurs really well for Bangladesh. 
Yeah, I think, um, you know, you're talking about a player who, when he was young, really, there's just no, there were signs that he could hold a bat. Um, but what we have seen of recent times is it's beyond that, right? Um, so he made the 100 in 2021. Uh, I can't remember who that was against. Um, but we, we've seen before, we've seen some stuff in, you know, uh, of his cricket where we could tell there's some talent there. I would say, and I'm just, I'm spitballing here, that he spent a lot of time working on his batting during COVID. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you want to go back, the old Pat Cummins thing is a perfect example of that, of, you know, if you do get some time off and you can upskill yourself, um, you, you know, you can certainly do something. So he's made, is it two test hundreds now? I'm trying to remember. I, I, I think so. Do, do ODA hundreds for sure, because he has one in the lower order as well, from what I yeah. recall. So I just want to have a look, sorry, by year and one day cricket as well. Um, hmm. So he, yeah, so he showed a little bit of talent in the first, what, 30 games of his career, you know, then had a bit of a down a, a down uh, momentum. And then last year in 15 games, he averaged 66. Now, hmm. he had 100 not out in that, only went at 330 runs. This year, he's averaging 27. That's kind of more what I would expect of him. But mm-hmm. there's no doubt that there's batting talent there. And, you know, I think me and... um. And Mohammed Issam did a podcast about this once of, you know, you know, he was one of the players we talked about. Like there, there's something there. Where does he get to? Is he someone who can occasionally pinch it and maybe bat at number mm. seven at best? That's still a really good player because, you know, f- from what I can tell, Shakib Halasan is 4,000 years old, right? Like eventually they're going <laughs> to have to move on from him. Um, and there is no other all-rounder, all-rounder coming through, right? Like, True. you know, so you – if you can't have a genuine all-rounder, what you really want is just a bowler who can give you extra overs. I uh, sorry, give, give you extra options with the bat. And at the mm. moment, he's you know he's completely doing that. Um, I think he's opened twice. Uh, he's batted as high as six, I think, in the middle order. Um, in, in a perfect world, what you really want him to do is probably bat at number eight, mm-hmm. um, and then use him when you need him in other positions, right? Um, but look, I think there's talent there. I I don't think he's going to be like one of the best openers in the World Cup or or anything like that. He's not even told- going to open in the World Cup, right? Because Lytton Das will be back. He he will open so, no. unless yeah, another. I mean, will be fit but, again, hopefully by the yeah. World Cup. So those guys will open for Bangladesh. You think? But also, more importantly, extremely- is that seven or eight position? If he mm. if he makes them legit at seven or eight, like if he if he can make it to a number seven ODI battle, right? While mm. they still have Shakib, suddenly the flexibility they have with their lineup is crazy. True. Yeah, and I mean, it was a really flat track in Lahore as well. So there's that that we have to take into context. But then again, Afghanistan was nullified by the flat track, right? Because their spinners weren't really potent. They've never had those sort of pace resources. And now, you know, all of a sudden, they're the team that it looks like they'll be struggling to make it to the Super 4 stage. Of course, if they beat Sri Lanka convincingly, they, they could make their way to the Super Force. And that could still happen, you know. Afghanistan has what it takes to beat Sri Lanka on the day. But all of a sudden, it looks quite a ste- steep and ask for them. And yeah, do you see them making it further? Or do you think that it's a premature exit for the Afghan boys? I think I said, didn't I, that, that Sri Lanka and Bangladesh were my favourites to get through from that group. Uh, I know we get excited about the Afghanistani team. Mm. And obviously, they can bowl. I think now with Sri Lanka's strike bowling capability and Bangladesh's consistency in one-day cricket, that it's harder with Afghanistan in that 
in that squad. You know, we've seen them at times in the Asia Cup have that kind of draw and Sri Lanka's been yeah. going through a problem and Bangladesh has struggled away from home and all that sort of stuff. I think there's those other two teams have upskilled of recent times and I don't mm. think Afghanistan has yet. Having said that, I mean, I do think Afghanistan's maybe in a slightly better position with their batting um, than they have been before. You know, Ibrahim, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> uh, was, was it Chris called Ibrahim's innings a stat padding innings? Um, oh, was it? No, it was a run ball 75, not the worst. There was Ramachar. I think he batted him. slow for a period of time, yeah. but it's also like, mm. I'm not sure that stat padding, I think that they don't have a very deep batting and you've got to, uh, mm. you've got to understand that sometimes they're going to bat a little bit slower. But but regardless yeah. of that, um, it's, um, yeah, I, I think we're, we're certainly in a position where with their top three, they have decent anchors, but it's still not mm-hmm. at the level that you would need, I don't think, to consistently put other teams under pressure. Yeah, you call them a spoiler team, and I think that's what they are yeah. at this point. And they're going to have to really overperform tomorrow if they are to make the, it to the Super Force. Anyway, one final thought on the Asia Cup. Lots of venue drama. Like I said earlier, Colombo's underwater, and uh, we're probably not going to have any cricket over there. And all of a sudden, we don't know where those games will be scheduled. Of course, there's always the possibility of them coming back to Pakistan. No rain over here. But that's obviously not happening. So it's either Palakele or Hamban Tota. But yeah, an absolute farce once again. And the scheduling thing is really, it's its becoming one of those things that is, you know, in the news all the time. And the BCCI or ACC or whatever you'd like to call it needs to be held responsible because this is not on. Um, I mean, you've got a situation where global politics is involved and then mm. you've got a, a, pop, a, a situation where cricket administration is involved i mean who would have thought that those two things would be a bit of a shit show um mm. so look i'm not <laughs> overly surprised uh every time i open twitter and i go to the for you bit you know the you know there's the two bits there's the mm. the thread that you have and then the one that elon is pushing stuff at you every time i go <laughs> on that all i get is tweets by Blue check mark Indian fans complaining that they couldn't buy any tickets to the last World Cup. Hmm. Oh, sorry, to this World Cup coming up. Um, and then on top of that, you have a situation where we've moved the tournament away from one country because of the global politics, and we've moved it into another country where there's lots of rain um, hmm. at the moment. And yeah. and you had the opportunity to move these games to Dambula originally, but because the BCCI doesn't like the hotels over there, apparently, so they, they didn't whoa, do that. whoa, whoa, whoa. That, that's another story. No, there it is. One of the best hotels I've ever stayed in my life is in Dambulla. In fact, there's two incredible resorts there. That can't be That can't be right. I've seen the Indian players there. In fact, I've probably told you this story before, but I once swam in a pool with Ashwin where we were racing each other. We didn't, like, I wasn't <laughs> sure if it was Ashwin or not. He definitely didn't know who I was. And, like, we got in this really competitive thing. And eventually I pulled out the butterfly stroke, right? Because I was ah. like, there's no way he's going to be able to do this one. Right. Like I could keep ahead of him with freestyle, but I wanted to, you know, big dick him a little bit here. Um, mm. uh, I, it's a very random story, but that was in one of the best <laughs> hotels I've ever stayed in. The Sri Lankan, Indian, New Zealand team was all, I wasn't even there for cricket. I was randomly on holiday and I had three <laughs> cricket teams in my hotel. Um, uh, and there's another resort on the other side of Dambulla as well, which is, which is beautiful as well. So unless those hotels have fallen apart, two of the nicest mm. hotels I've ever stayed in. Um, and, uh, in fact, the other hotel had Tony Gregg in it. And I still remember wow. that. Like, every time Tony Gregg would complain about the service or something, my dad would, like, really angrily moan about Tony Gregg. And so <laughs> you had these, like, two old, like, graying elephants sort of gnawing at each other from across the room. Anyway, random stories. There's lots of good hotels in Dambulla. I hope that's not really the case. Look, Dambulla is just in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing to do out there. Mm. You do feel quite isolated out there. Unless you're, you know, 
honeymoon or you know with your family or or whatever mm. um and you know it's it it's not like other parts of Sri Lanka where there are other mm. things to do and, and and everything else so i can understand it from that perspective um but uh yeah i mean I didn't need to go into this right. Do you remember before the podcast when you said I had to be succinct and now I'm telling you stories about Tony Gregg and my dad um, <laughs> uh, moaning at each other across uh, a, a, a buffet. Anyway, yeah. should we have on an ad? On that note, I think, <laughs> I think yeah, we, we've done enough uh, conversation on the Asia Cup. Let's go for an ad. You're watching Uncovered with Jared and Behram. See you shortly after this one. Get ready to take charge of your favorite leagues in Wicket Cricket Manager. Control the game, buy and sell players, and train them to victory. Play against friends, strangers, or challenge yourself. With your cricket knowledge, become the master on the pitch of Wicket Cricket Manager. Welcome back to Uncovered. I'm Behram Kazi and with me is Jared Kimber. And we're going to talk about England's ongoing four-match T20I series versus New Zealand, which England is leading to one. So, uh, not a lot of England's starters are playing, even though the batters are. But you see a lot of new bowlers. And when I say new bowlers, these are guys who, have, who we have seen in the past. Like Luke Wood got a three-wicket haul. Brighton Gass took a three-wicket haul. But more importantly, Gus Atkinson, who was in the Provisional World Cup squad, mm. took four for 20 on debut. So, England's... Depth, uh, depth. Wow, depth and bench strength in limited overs cricket. It's really could, phenomenal, could right? Depth and and bench strength all be one thing into a depth. Depth, yeah, I, I can see that. That that should definitely be a thing. But it is really phenomenal how you know they have this luxury to play different teams in different formats all the time, and no one gets burnt out. No, I'm um, look. It's it's a good um, New Zealand team as well, and I do think that at the moment. England is a much better T20 team than you know mm. New Zealand is, so I'm not I'm not overly surprised. Even a sort of a second tier type um, mm. side would go about this. Not that it, it's not it's kind of like a mixture, isn't it? There's a few first eleven players there mm. as well, and some and some very good cricketers. So it's not all as if everyone is a is a backup player from that point of view. But you're right. The the, the headline from that series is definitely the Gus Atkinson thing, right? Of mm. um, we I, I'm I'm. I'm actually commentating on the one dayers, so I'll uh-huh. be taking you know a lot more, paying a lot more t- attention when the one dayers um, clip clip around. But at the moment, you know, I I've been um, the only thing that has really interested me has probably been the Gus Atkinson um, side of hmm. things. You know, just how he goes, uh, you know, the the thinking behind uh, his cricket, and and then I suppose the you know the the other thing is, um, and this isn't. This is for the one days, I think, isn't it? Not the T20s, but is you know, Lockie Ferguson is captaining. Hmm. I think one of the the teams coming up, or one of the games, or already has or something. Again, something I'm a little bit interested in. You know, another fast bowler getting captaincy, all all those sorts of things. I think are quite interested. But but yeah, hmm. uh, the Gus Atkinson thing. We I think we knew it was pretty good. This doesn't tell us that much about one day cricket because it's a mm-hmm. different format and everything. But he'll feel more confident, right? If he does have to yeah. go into the World Cup played against a decent New Zealand team and he's done very well. Yeah, and this is the team who England played in the last World Cup final. Of course, different format, but that's a good way to start your international career, I suppose. Four for 20, mm-hmm. cannot complain. England's he, he batters two, did well. Two or three for in another game, didn't he as well? Like he's taken a few wickets reckon, now, hasn't yeah. he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's been impressive for sure. And uh, as has Johnny Bairstow, you know, brought out his belligerent best in one of the games. Harry Brook, someone who missed out on the World Cup, has gotten runs. And Dawid Milan. So I really like this from England, you know. Dawid Milan would not make their T20 teams most days, you know. But Mm. he is playing this series because, you know, they probably have him earmarked for the World Cup and want him to get some international exposure in the build-up. And you'd have to say this is smart by England because they're using their resources wisely and because they're not playing any Asian side and are playing at home in this entire preparation period, 
this is as optimally as they could, you know, move towards the World Cup. Yeah, look, I think there, there's 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 no downsides to Dalit Milan playing in this series, is there? Really? Mm. Like, you know, they what what's the worst case scenario? They're not trialing another youngster, but as you said, they've already got other younger players coming through. Most of their younger batters have had a go or you know, have been around anyway. Mm-hmm. What's the be- you've got two options really. You either play Dalit Milan and you say to him, just more international plays for you to go up against, you know, um, and and play your natural game, or you uh, play a youngster. It's a win-win situation, I think, for anyone. Hmm. You know, yeah. You know, I, I think maybe the bigger question is why so many T Twenty games? Is yeah, four T Twenty games, but I guess they do have seven ODIs, right? If you count the Ireland ones as well, and maybe that's it. Something. Maybe that's it. It just seems like a yeah. Maybe and maybe they had to offer an extra game for Ireland to. And the to Ireland to New Zealand yeah. to sweeten the deal. I don't know. Maybe six was like mm-hmm. we're not getting on the plane for six, but give us one more and we'll come out. I don't know. I, but I maybe, maybe was... it's a commercial thing. Maybe they're making more money this way. It could be. It just seems like would you not play an extra one mm. day instead? But and maybe they don't want <laughs> yeah, to tie five them out. ODIs. Yeah, five ODIs seems about right. But I don't four know ODIs it, in forty twenties. <laughs> yeah, it uh, to me it just it just seemed weird because when the third one finished, I was like, oh, that's the end of the series, and then suddenly I was looking at my thing, going, wait a minute, I've got another one in here. So mm. there's certainly something um, there's certainly something a little bit interesting about that. But look, it's it's not the end of the world, but just something I noticed. Yeah, no, definitely. And uh, let's take a look at New Zealand for a bit. You've got you know not a lot of players who are playing well in the series. Of course, they are down to one, but Kyle Jameson has made a return, and he had been injured for quite a while. Mm-hmm. He took a threefer as well. And when I think of Kyle Jameson, I think of someone who is a red ball specialist and an absolute you know demonic sort of threat with the ball and with the bat in Test cricket. But do you see him as someone who could emerge as perhaps an all-format specialist for New Zealand? Because he's done well in the 30 to 20 So I first scouted him, I don't know, 2018, 2019, whenever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I tried to get him picked up by all the T20 teams in the world. So I definitely mm-hmm. didn't see him as a Red Bull only player. He then got it's it's one of those stupid situations of the IPL. Whereas I was telling people, players and coaches and managers and everyone, mm. you need to get this guy on t- into your books. Um, mm. And then, of course, he becomes one of the best test players in the world, and suddenly he gets overpaid as an IPL prospect. Mm. And so there's, a, I think, there's a bit of a natural bounce back from that. And he hasn't played as much international cricket for New Zealand. I don't think he's worked on his white ball skills as much as he has his red ball skills. Mm. But I don't know how you cross bat him if he bowls back of a length. Um, uh, on on a wicket with anything in it, right? And hmm. that I think one of the issues for him has been in the IPL that that's not as easy a thing to be able to do on on those kinds of wickets. But in general, maybe even the ICC wickets in India, there might be a little bit more there for him to be able to uh, do those sorts of situations. But no, I definitely see him as the, he can bat and he can bowl. Hmm. Um, and so even if and he's he a is giant right so he could probably field as well or take those yeah catches. i don't think he's a bad fielder he's not like trent mm. bolt or anything but i don't think he's a bad <laughs> fielder so like i think there's a lot there um that is worth investing in and you know as i said overpaid in the ipl that was just more a reaction to something everyone was really mm. excited about him i do think mm. uh, you know going ahead there's not going to be I, I think there is good one day and t20 cricket within him but it might mm. take a while before we start to see that consistently yeah, let me put you on the spot. You have one option, can only play one of these guys in the World Cup squad for New Zealand. Jimmy Neesham or Kyle Jameson? Who do you pick? Uh, 
if I can only pick one of them, what I'm assuming that if that's the case, you're basically asking me if I want a weaker batting lineup or a weaker bowling lineup. So I'm not really I picking between so. those two players, right? I'm probably mm-hmm. thinking to myself, where do I want to go? Because I think if you leave Nisham out, you're probably going to want to have Santner batting at seven. Hmm. And then Jameson Higher than Jameson for sure, yeah. Yeah, maybe you don't, yeah. Um, maybe I would go Jameson. I don't... It's a lot... There's a lot of... Um, I don't think that if you're going to play within yourself the way that New Zealand do, hmm. unless Glenn Phillips goes absolutely nuts or, you know, or one of the top two or three are there at the end, my worry is are they going to be able to score quick enough against the best teams to put yeah. on enough runs? Um, hmm. Because what Jimmy Neesham gives them, at least in theory, is that person who can score 30 or 15, right? Yeah. And then Santner can scratch around behind him and then, you know, Southie maybe hits a six and Bolt hits a six mm-hmm. and, you know, next thing you know, you don't have the worst score in the world. Yeah. I think that's a much bigger issue if you uh, don't have Nisham in that side. Um, but, yeah, no, I mean, it's interesting. I think I think I'd still – I think they need a little bit more batting. And I think Nisham's really – he's that he, – he's not a long – he's not going to bat for a long period of time or anything mm-hmm. in, in general, but – He's very well suited to that last ten or fifteen overs. So yeah, yeah. I don't. That's. I, I. I suppose it's just hard because they do. They just. They make the team strong in two different ways. Mm. I, I wonder if the better option is occasionally to leave out. You know, one of their a seamer they might think is better in white ball cricket than mm. Jameson in order to make sure that you have Santa at eight and Jameson. Sorry, Santa at seven and Jameson at eight is a lot stronger lineup than we've seen from some of the um, New Zealand teams. Yeah, I mean, in the last World Cup, they had Colin de Granholm and Jimmy Neesham. So they had that firepower uh, in the lower order. And it's interesting how they have a lot of seamers now, right? Saudi, Bolt and Lockie and Milne and uh, what's his name? Matt Henry. Matt, Matt Henry's Henry. done really well. So they're really spoiled for choice over there. Maybe even Saudi has to sit this one out like he did in the previous World Cup. But more good news for New Zealand is that Finn Allen got runs in one innings. And he is someone who they've earmarked as their opener in limited overs cricket. And then Glenn Phillips. I mean, he's been so successful for New Zealand in uh, white ball cricket or over the last couple of years or maybe three, four years, he scored runs again in this series. So that really bodes well for New Zealand going into the World Cup because those are two guys who they'll need to perform if they are to, as you say, get those big totals and, you know, score at high run rates. Yeah. um, You know, it's... (laughs) I don't think anything I've heard over the last, you know, little while has made me think that New Zealand is a better team. Um, That I think I had them as a fourth-tier World Cup prospect on mm. one of our podcasts, or maybe I did that on Wagon Wheel. I can't remember now. Yeah, it was fourth to you. Yeah. You had South this... Africa at third and Bangladesh and New Zealand at fourth. And I don't think I've done any more research to make me think that I got that wrong. Hmm. They're, well, they're fine. Kane, but... Kane Williamson is back, right? He's yeah. going to be in the squad. So yeah. there's that. Does yeah. that move them to third maybe with South Africa? Because they're, they're a team that consistently punches punches well above their weight you know they look like a squad that might not get to the semis but they've played two finals in a row in the 50 over world cup so you definitely can't take them lightly and Kane coming back is a massive boost isn't it yes if he's fully fit and he makes runs then it's hmm. a boost um i i just don't think in a one day world cup hmm. if santner is going to be your only spinner if you're going to be able to win a world cup and i don't know if you're leaving it to the semi finals with one spinner 
I just don't see Santa's not going to take any wickets. So their seamers are going to have to have the tournaments of their lives. Um, and there is, there's Ish Sodi, so he might play. If Ish, I mean, so Ish Sodi, um, if they if they pick Ish Sodi, which is a fair thing for them to do, right? Hmm. Uh, who they then getting away from their um, strength as um, um, as a what do you call it a uh, a, a seam bowling team, right? Hmm. But also. I know he showed he has recently improved and we are all hoping that he's doing a lot better. But I think he averages around 40 in one-day cricket. Something like that. Um, and uh, he, I think the he's played two games, played one game in 2022, one game in 2023. And the last time he played more than one game in a year was 2018. I mm. don't think, and, and you know, Ratchan Ravindra, I really like him. Um, obviously, Bracewell is the interesting one. Because I yeah. think Bracewell would have given them massive... If Bracewell was in this side, even though I don't actually rate his bowling that high, hmm. I think because he could have played that Nisham role of batting at yeah. number six, lots of things would have opened up. Ratcham hmm. Ravindra, probably not a good enough bowler. A top-order player who they're going to have to bat down the order doesn't quite fix their problems. Ish Sodi, if he could bat even a little bit, would be very, very handy. But he's a leg spinner who traditionally in one-day cricket, not taking a lot of wickets. So yeah. I don't know if that fixes the problem as well. Look, they're fine. I don't want to sit here saying that, you know, we always underrate New Zealand and then they bring it together. Mm. They're a very good tournament team. And I think what Kane Williamson does is make me feel more comfortable in them as a tournament team. And I mean mm. that from the perspective of, if you look at, if, if you look at the way they have, um, uh, they were going to set up, before Williamson, it probably would have been Finn Allen opening the batting and it probably would have been Will Young batting at three, mm. right? Yeah, probably. Those, I don't think those two oh, guys oh, have... Oh, Will Young opening the batting and uh, Daryl Mitchell coming in at three. They've done that. They've tried that. Yeah, That's I mean, that would have made a little bit more sense, right? But mm. they can afford to do that now a little bit more with Williamson coming back. They can move yeah. Will Young up. My point is that uh, Will Young and, and, and um, Finn Allen, they're not Ross Taylor. Right, yeah. they're not players with long periods of times where we can trust them in high pressure situations. I know Will Young has a good ODI record so far, and Phil Allen averages around thirty so far. Right, mm. but that's the big difference for me. It's that side of it that that we don't have. Um, and so generally, when we under when we undervalue New Zealand, one of the things we're undervaluing is the consistency of their players to do decent scores. Mm. I didn't see that before. Kane Williamson makes me change it slightly but I still don't feel as comfortable about their bowling coming into this tournament. They're, they're spin yeah. bowling. Fair enough. I mean, I, I actually, it's interesting you mentioned Bracewell because he should definitely be on that plane to India. I would have them there 100%. He's injured though, isn't he? Is he, isn't he? Is he? I think that's why he's like not around. Is he injured for long? Yeah, I because... think it's... God, I should know this, but I think that is why... Um, hmm. So he injured himself in June and I think... Yeah, he's missing. Oh, it was Achilles. That's right. It was ah, Achilles. So that's, that's why bad. he's not there. With him in, I had them a lot higher. And as I said, hmm. it's not specifically him as a player, but it's the flexibility that he would give them in their yeah. lineup uh, that they suddenly had. You know, he could bowl six to seven overs a game, mm -hmm. bat at number six. Probably a better bowler in Asian conditions than Nisham is. Definitely. He can definitely do Nisham's job with the bat. Right. He got Barbara Azam's wicket a couple of times in Pakistan. So he, look, he, he's got that. a bit of um, Jason Crazier. Um, mm. like, as in, 
he's not a fully fledged off spinner in some ways, mm. but he rips it. Like he's not a part-timer who rolls it. Most part-time spinners, when you see them, they just roll their fingers over the side of the ball like a cutter. He's actually mm. ripping the ball. And so he can get really good players out. Um, yeah, no, he would. I, I, and, and, and it's not so much, oh, I think Bracewell's the, you know, the difference between them winning and losing a World Cup. Although he played that incredible innings, obviously, um, not that mm. not long before he got injured. It's more Versus just India. The, yeah, it's the flexibility he gives. Nisham being another um, seam bowler is another right arm seam bowler who's not particularly, you know, that that different to anyone else doesn't really help. Yeah. And then Ratcham Ravindra is just not on that level. He's just not ready mm-hmm. to be able to do that at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. So let's see how they fare. I mean, I don't have them as semi-finalists either, but you know, they always surprise us. But anyway, we'll take another break and come back with some Australia versus South Africa. You're watching Uncovered with Jared and Behram and we'll see you after this ad. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town. Like, maybe you're a Raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live because you shouldn't have to change teams even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Football's back. And Whole Foods Market is everything you need for a delicious tailgater watch party. Level up your game day hosting with marinated chicken wings, chicken sausages, hot dogs, and more. Headed to a friend's house? On the way, grab crowd-pleasing snacks from Whole Foods Market, like late July tortilla chips and Primal Kitchen queso dip. And don't forget the beer. Very important. Just check out that local selection. Elevate game day with Whole Foods Market. Must be 21 plus. Please drink responsibly. Welcome back to Uncovered. I'm Behram Kazi. You can find me at Def Mango on Twitter. And with me is Jared Kimber. Australia tours South Africa right before the World Cup. And they play a three-match T20i series. Jared in Australia sweeps it 3-0. Mitch Marsh is the captain in his debut series as captain. He scores 92, I think, in the first game. Followed by 79. And Ari, uh, colleague pointed out something really fun. He said that, or he mentioned that Mitch Marsh scored 186 runs at an average of 186 and a strike rate of 186, which I don't think has ever happened in cricket. If it has, it's, no one's noticed yeah, it before. <laughs> surely a first, right? And, and I just want to ask you, like, of course, he's come up trumps with the bat and he's led well, clearly. Is he your candidate to lead Australia next year in the T20 World Cup in the Caribbean and the USA? <sighs> I suppose there, I mean, there just isn't really a multitude of options. So I'm not, I wouldn't say that I would be happy with it. I, I need to see him lead more. I mean, he was fantastic in this series, but hmm. they, I'm not sure how many high pressure decisions he had to make in this particular yeah. series. Um, look, I, Mitch is a proper cricket guy. I think, you know, he's obviously one of those people who he probably doesn't immerse himself in the game, hmm. um, but you know, he grew up in the game. And he, you know, there's a lot of innate skill. You watch him bowl hmm. and and you realize that he's not just a big guy who bowls at a decent pace and so he's handy. There's a little bit to his bowling and, and you know, hmm. a little bit of intelligence there from that point of view. I thought it was really interesting. I should have also apologized. Someone, I can't remember what it was, but someone in the wagon wheel asked me a question about the three Australian debutants of the series. And I think it was the first time I'd seen there were three Australian debutants and the person just put yeah. their last name down. And I thought, 
it said Sunga, and I thought it was Jason Sunga, the New South Wales no, batter. And it was on the later. Yeah, that I realized it was the young leggy who did really, really well in this series. So mm-hmm. apologies to anyone who... Took a fourth on, yeah. on debut, I think. There's two... Uh, I've said this before, but 4,000 professional cricketers is too many. We need to cull a few of them. But, um, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I thought that was really interesting that they, they gave it a go. I, it, it, what I found interesting about that series is that Australia kind of played it in a way that they don't actually always play T20 cricket. Mm-hmm. And, you know, having those new players there and there seemed to be a freedom that we, ha- we haven't seen as much um, of the Australian team in, in that perspective. Um, but, you know, seeing guys like Matthew Short do well um, as well. Yeah. Um, Talk you know, to me about Matthew Short, you know, because like you said, Australia threw the kitchen sink at it. This guy scored his runs. I think it was 86 or something. He scored 166 and then there were two failures. But he scored or struck at over 200, which is crazy. So educate me. I, I don't know much about Matthew Short, but he seems like a pretty good batch. Yeah, our... He started coming through, I can't remember, was it 2017, 2016, perhaps. And I remember 2018 saying, like, this guy's stats are interesting. There's a player here. Mm-hmm. And everyone sort of saying to me, he's a limited guy. Uh, he's mm-hmm. not an international player or a franchise player. You know, that's fine. The next year I had a look and his stats got a little bit better again. And, mm-hmm. and it's just been like that consistently for a long period here where I get it. I get why... The, the reason he hasn't really played more for Australia is literally mm. the thing I just said. They they don't necessarily feel that comfortable with him. They're not 100% sure if he's this top-level player or anything else. Mm. And, and I don't want to say they're waiting for him to fail, but they're not certain. You know, you see these players sometimes, really good first-class records or, or list-A records or T20 records, and the selectors don't quite buy into them because the selectors are looking at other things. And he... He does look like a very limited cricketer. He's bowling. I think his bowling probably hasn't stood up at international mm. level or IPL level so far. Um, uh, you know, when he's been really under pressure as a bowler, I don't think that stood up. So in some ways, the selectors were right. But his batting mm. is probably better than anyone ever gave it credit for. Um, and I think he is just one of those guys who I think he's a very smart cricketer. And he mm. has the ability to work his way through situations. I don't know if he's a frontline Australian player going ahead, hmm. if, if we're being honest. But even if he's a squad member, because of the flexibility that he gives, I think he's quite a handy player. Yeah, fair enough. Who would you say is the better short, Matthew or Darcy? <laughs> but it, this is a perfect example of, I thought Darcy was quite limited, hmm. right? And I thought in Matthew Short, he was limited, but more there was more to his game. But be, Darcy has a sort of, natural swagger and structable hmm. in such a way whereas actually it didn't take that long for big bash teams and ipl teams and yeah. the international team did he play psl as well cpl no he did Does not he? play the psl i think he might have played the cpl though. yeah because and he was this big bash prodigy all of a sudden right everyone was talking about him yeah late late bloomer maybe made his debut hmm. around 25 26 obviously he grew yeah. up in northern territory then went to western australia um hmm. yeah I think, you know, in that situation, you had, he came from nowhere and maybe a little bit like Venki Iyer, teams not knowing anything about him actually mm. played to his advantage for a while. And now he's regressed to more of an anchor player after mm-hmm. being, you know, an absolute blitzer of the ball early on. But it's just because teams know how to bowl to him now. They know the right lengths. You know, obviously he's not as good against spin. We, we, that's now being well tested. And I think the difference between him and someone like Matthew Short is Matthew Short probably is not as elite in any skill that Darcy Short is. 
But right. Matthew Short probably has so many different skills that it maybe it is harder to pin him down. And that sometimes is the thing that selectors miss. They're looking for that one thing. They're looking for that Chris Lynn ability to hit, you know, spinners out of the ground. Mm. I'm sorry, I hit seen, every seam bowler they face out of the ground. But they sometimes forget that the rest of the game might not be anywhere near that level. So their top skill might be absolutely elite, but their secondary skill may not be at that level. So if you look at someone like, oh God, what's his name? The uh, the little guy who plays for um, Punjab in the IPL, the the seamer, the Australian seamer, bowls all the Yorkers and the Nathan Ellis. Nathan Ellis. Look at Nathan Ellis. They're really excited about him in Australia because he was what mm. he does at the end. But I think what they found over time is he maybe doesn't have he may be an elite death bowler, but he might not have some of the other elite attributes that some of the other bowlers have. And, and you know, with someone like Matthew Short, he may not have many elite skills, but he maybe mm. doesn't also have as many weaknesses. And that perhaps uh, is why he was overlooked a little bit. That's yeah, quite interesting. It's it's funny how you bring up Nathan Ellis because he also had a good game. I think took a three wicket haul, as did Baron Dorf, where it took a couple of wickets. And you've seen these guys here and there for Australia. But someone who I was really impressed with, and someone who I think we should probably do a podcast on someday, leading wicket taker in this T Twenty International series. And you know, it's been quite a journey for Sean Abbott. He was on the wrong end of the mm-hmm. Phil Hughes incident. And then he's been a consistent performer in domestic cricket. Now in his early 30s, he had a wonderful season in England, didn't he? Caught wickets, scored so many runs and so many attractive runs. There was a straight drive that Sean Abbott played. And I think I have that bookmark somewhere on my Twitter because that's how good a straight drive that was. And now finally, he's getting those performances in, Aus- in an Australian jersey. Mm-hmm. So what do you make of this entire career arc? And I think it's pretty fascinating and you know, I would like to see him as one of those guys that Australia look upon when their first string bowlers aren't available in limited overs cricket. Yeah, I think that's the most important thing with Sean Abbott. I don't think there's a particular skill he has that is that means he would displace anyone else. Hmm. Um, there have been points in T20 cricket where I think he's been good at different facets of the game. But it's very rarely that he's been an above-average bowler kind of all the way through an innings. His hitting is is interesting because I think when he was young, I remember seeing him when he was very young and thinking, oh, this could be even an all-round prospect. And mm. it didn't really, I mean, wait, I just, I got his record up then because I wanted to have a look at some of his runs. But mm. um, yeah, I think if you have a look, so in in T20, he averages 13. Mm. Uh, and in list A, he averages 17. And yet if you would have asked me when he was young, I would have said he's probably, you know, between 15 and 18 in T20 cricket and probably 22 to 25 in, in, in you know, list A cricket. And it hasn't mm. come across. I think, I don't think we can ever truly understand what it was like to be the person who delivers the ball that kills a mm-hmm. teammate, right? Yeah. Like, I know they weren't teammates at that time, but they had been teammates before. They knew each other, you know. The, the Phil Hughes thing was such a huge moment in Australia and being the person who delivered that has to have an impact. But I also just don't know if he has perhaps one skill that makes him elite at international level to go back to that conversation, you know, that we're just talking about whether he has that one skill that makes him better than some of the other seamers. Um, Is he in like the Michael Nisa category of seamers? Would you say? Yeah. I mean, obviously he's a, um, a white ball version of Michael Nisa, right? So I suppose mm. that's a little bit different. But, you know, if if you look at his uh, record, he, he strikes fairly well. But I think the majority of his career, he's gone at over eights and over. Mm. And so he has always taken wickets. But when I've watched him, 
I've never felt like, and I've seen him take, I, I saw a lot of Sydney Sixers games when he was playing for them. Mm. And I've seen him take big hauls. But even when he's taking the big hauls, they've felt different than other strike bowlers where I feel like they're on top of the game. And mm. when he takes wickets, it's never quite felt that way. I've always felt that a little bit, I, I wrote about this a couple of years ago, but oh, last year, the IPL thing where sometimes you see a young seamer come through mm. and they have one year where they take a bunch of wickets and you look at the economy and you're like, that's a bit high. Um, yeah. They probably won't be able to do that. He's gone to the period now where I have to trust his wicket taking in T20 cricket, but he's never been able to match it with a consistently low um, economy rate for more than a year or two at a time. Um, you know, you've got you've got people like um, Kane Richardson, James Pattinson, uh, you know, Billy Stanlake, uh, hmm. you know, and you know, Jai Richardson, uh, even even someone like Skeketty, who. Hmm probably just profile a little bit more the way that Australia sees their bowlers, maybe mm-hmm. a little bit faster, maybe a little bit taller, maybe a little bit stronger than Sean Abbott. And he's kind of, a, you know, in between all those different, those skill sets. And there's no one obvious thing. I The one thing I would say is that if his batting had come acro- along any earlier, I actually think he just gets a game then more like that sort of Nisa, but the white ball version mm-hmm. of Nisa. But look, he's a talented player and he's still been around forever and he's 31 and we may be seeing a changing of the guard you know with the australian um seamers um you know as they start to age out a little bit maybe they don't want to play as much you know kane richards has played a lot of cricket for australia his batting while have while it hasn't translated as much at international level is part of the reason that he's been around Mm -hmm. is there a possibility that sean abbott becomes the new kane richardson and every time you see (laughs) an australian squad he's in it and nathan calls and i was another one right like yeah that little bit of batting that those those guys have we're not talking batters and we're not talking arounders but we're talking the ability to hit sixes um and mm. be you know not a dead weight at the other end of the order in the way that stark and cummins are not um yeah you know australia does like that sort of stuff and i think abbott's on that kind of level hmm. yeah let's see how his career progresses but anyway he's down the road from you so you could always pay him a visit at the oval at surrey um one last thought on australia of course we have a new captain who did well you've got a bunch of youngsters you know, debutants coming in and then some returnees and lots of fringe players. But there's one guy who is going to be featuring for Australia in the ODI World Cup and he's had quite the year. Travis Head, you know, brilliant mm-hmm. in the Ashes, brilliant in the World Test Championship final. Really, really good limited overs opener now. You know, has gotten runs up top and got 91 in the last game, chasing down 191 in like 15, 16 overs, which was quite ridiculous, right? So that is quite a good sign for Australia going into the World Cup because if Travis Head fires then all of a sudden there's no pressure on David Warner anymore. And Australia is, you know, one of the more feared teams in this World Cup. Yeah, I mean, they certainly, they just need two openers, right? Um, And Aaron Finch was a bit of a drag for a little while. Um, But also, David Warner is not going to be there that much longer as well. So this Mm -hmm. World Cup is obviously what we're talking about. But going ahead, pardon the pun, um, uh, eventually, you know, we are going to be in a situation (laughs) um, where Australia are going to have to look at uh, someone else. So if he can, you know, knock down one of those those roles, he, he's always. A, I've always found Travis Head a really confusing cricketer because every time I kind of feel mm. like he's good, he goes through a period where he doesn't make runs anymore. So I do think he is a bit of a you know a batch uh, batter in that sense. Um, mm. But when he's playing well, he looks as good as anyone in the world. And the only issue you would have is that it's two left-handers again, right? Like true. They, you know, if. if w- is there a couple of teams, you know, like Bangladesh? Um, uh, well, Pakistan to... has two lefties up top as well. 
No, no, no. But I'm thinking of Bangladesh having the off spinner. I'm trying to think who mm. else. You know, Mo and Ali bowling extra overs at the top. It yeah. just allows you to, you know, plan. You, if you want, if you want to get some cheap overs out of your off spinner to allow your bowlers to bowl in the rest of the innings, it's a bit of an advantage um, for the opposition. But you know, Australia has more, produces more left-handers than anywhere else in the world, and I've never quite understood yeah. exactly why that is. But they do, <laughs> and are, they're going to have two up the top, and it's not the first time, and it won't be the last time. Yeah, no, definitely an attractive batter. Travis said one of the most, or probably the most attractive mustache in all of cricket. And he has a head start. Again, no puns intended. But anyway, we'll take a quick break. You can watch the ad. You're watching Uncovered with Jared and Behram. We'll be back shortly with other stuff. This episode is brought to you by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds, small-town Welsh football club, is fighting for a chance at promotion. These two Hollywood stars lead a team in the midst of history in the making, while dedicated staff and supporters hold on to a dream of returning the team and this working-class town in Wales to glory. FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres September 12th on FX. Stream on Hulu. Hey, Spotifyers, click or tap the banner to listen to Rap Caviar, the freshest 50 hip-hop songs on the rawest playlist ever. Brought to you by our friends at Stars and the new season of Power Book 4, Force. Watch now, only on Stars and the Stars app. Welcome back to Uncovered. I'm Behram and with me is Jared and some... Sad news coming from the cricketing world, of course. Zimbabwe legend Heath Streak lost his battle to cancer at the age of 49, so gone too soon. And someone who has over 450 international wickets, Jared, and nearly 5,000 international runs as well. Known as someone who elevated his game when he was captain of Zimbabwe. And I know you're coming up with a piece on that as well, so all of those numbers will be highlighted. I only caught the wee end of his career because I started watching cricket around 2002, We get it, you're Yeah. But, of course, even at that time, I knew that Heath Streak was one of their main men and he was like a commanding figure in that Zimbabwe mm. team and had a very, very huge impact uh, on that Zimbabwean team of the 90s, which did quite well, right? Uh, you know, they were ranked above England at times in Test cricket, or at least once, I think, mm. um, during the 90s. They drew with a lot of very good teams. Tough, tough era as well. There's a lot of good teams around mm. in the 90s, especially a lot of good bowling attacks. Um, and... You know, they were a tough team to get past at their absolute best. And they didn't have that many international quality players. Hmm. Top end in international quality players. And I think, you know, I wrote about a little bit in the piece that I think Andy Flower averaged 50. And we got very fascinated as that as a cricket culture. Heat streak ended up with a bowling average under 30. And that is not hmm. something you see of seamers, uh, you know, in new test nations, especially ones who played for, 12, 13 years, the way that he did. He had no hit no one else at the other end. I can't remember who had the most wickets at the other end, uh, at the most wickets um, uh, outside of him. I th- it was very priced, but it was around 75. Oh, longer? Oh, are we talking like all bowlers or just seamers? Yeah, in the history of Zimbabwean cricket, no bowler mm. outside of Heastrick has 100 test wickets. And I think the next highest mm. is Ray Price at 70 or 75 or 80 or around that wow. high. Um, he had over... Um, a fifth of Zimbabwe's wickets in Test cricket mm. when he retired, and he was injury prone as well. So it wasn't even like, and, and he retired once and went on strike another time. Like, not like mm-hmm. he was always playing. Um, yeah. So look, he was a phenomenal player. I, I, if, for me, he was the he was sort of like a Freddie Flintoff like figure mm. for 
Zimbabwean cricket, um, except they're for a lot longer and obviously far more important to them. But he deserves as much respect as Andy Flower, you know, and I've written about him a lot in his career. And part of the reason I've written about him a lot is just because he didn't quite break through the way that I thought he did. But if you were watching him in the 90s, he just looked like a proper international bowler. And the guys at the other end did not. Right. You know, mm. he occasionally had, you know, Strangle Price to bowl with. Carl Jarvis bowled quite well at times. You know, they had Eddie Brandis for a couple of, you know, his better games. But if you look consistently, he just had no one at the other end who could take, you know, wickets. You know, guys like Olonga and, um, you know, and, and Irvine, not Irvine, uh, Blignor. Blignor. And, yeah. um, and um, Pommy and Bangwa. Like they all had talent. But mm. there's, you're talking about one guy who can average 28 with the ball over a decade on pretty flat pitches in Zimbabwe. And mm. then you on the on the other side, you have guys who, you know, aren't even taking 80 wickets in their career. It's an incredible um, thing. And look, he, he's, it was sad what happened at the end. First, I think as a player, he had to go through the political turmoil of trying to keep mm-hmm. his team together when it was all falling apart. The worst years of Mugabe, you know, the flower boycott, uh, flower boycott, flower um, Olonga, um, uh-huh. Uh, black ar- black armband thing happened when streak was there. The players went on strike because they weren't being play- paid at one stage. He retired, mm-hmm. then was you know sort of brought back at another stage. Um, then he you know he falls into coaching, and like a lot of those Zimbabwean guys, he got jobs. But I don't think he was. There's a couple of Zimbabwean guys who just turn up in cricket jobs everywhere, and he streak was never mm-hmm. quite on that level. Goes back mm-hmm. to coach Zimbabwe, and then of course we find out that he's been giving information to bookmakers. Yeah, um, he was quite stern on the fact that he hadn't been involved with any fixes, but he'd certainly mm. given a lot of information across um, at that mm. time. And for me, kind of hurt. I, I think for most people who grew up watching him and loved Zimbabwean cricket like I did, it just hurt because you watched him try so hard on the field, mm. and that juxtaposition of going from the guy that you saw busting a gut again and again you know, with the ball and with the bat for Zimbabwe to being involved mm. with fixing. It was just, it really was a bit of a gut punch from that, from that perspective. And of course, not long after that, you know, we, we start to hear about the cancer as well. Um, mm. And we heard about the cancer not that long ago and he's already passed, you know, didn't, yeah. uh, didn't go past the age of 50. So hugely sad because he is probably the, you know, the second most important figure in Zimbabwean cricket. Hopefully, you know, someone like Blessing will, and, and obviously mm-hmm. Sakanda Raza has been interesting up time. And Garava is also good. And yeah, I mean, that, what I mean is we're, ho- we're hoping mm-hmm. one of the current guys goes past him. Yeah. Right? But it's True. him and Andy Flower are really mm-hmm. the most important people uh, in, in the history of Zimbabwean cricket, you know, outside of someone mm-hmm. like Dave Houghton, um, who perhaps just before that, that kind of period. And so, you know, we... It's a huge shame to watch um, to watch him pass so young. When he was good, and this is the one difference I say between him and Flower, I do think Flower was a slightly better cricketer than Heastreak. Mm-hmm. But I don't think anyone tried harder than Heastreak. And when Heastreak was on one, Zimbabwe won games, whereas mm-hmm. Andy Flower kept them in games and Heastreak right. managed to win them games. And, you know, if you would have watched him in the 90s, you you know, because you by the time you would have seen him, he was kind of on his way out. Mm-hmm. But... You know, if you would have seen him in the 90s, he could have walked into so many other teams in around the world. And yet every time you watched him run through the crease, he was trying so hard. So really sad day um, that he's passed on. Um, and, you know, um, uh, a hugely important person for 
I'm going to say Zimbabwean cricket, but also for global cricket, because yeah. him being in Zimbabwe at that time made them such a stronger team. And realistically, if they hadn't have been a strong team in the 90s, I don't think they'd still be around. I think they would have lost their test status um, in the 2000s, you know, with everything that was going on with them. Um, you know, they've already been flicked out of cricket once, even with it, yeah. with that. Um, so, and he streak and, and Annie Flower and even the lesser guys, you know, uh, that they had uh, available to them, you know, really... They were the ones who who set this up, and um, and as you said, Ngava and you know Blessing and um, the young kid who's playing in counter cricket, who we hope goes on to play for Zimbabwe when he, uh, one day, and <laughs> all these guys coming through, whether they know it or not, you know, Streak is 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 the reason that Zimbabwean cricket is still remembered fondly by people of mm-hmm. my generation, and that helps when they go through their darkest times, which you know they're only a couple of years removed from. Yeah, no, definitely. And I mean, if you think of the best cricketers that Zimbabwe has ever produced, his name is definitely up there, right? With Andy Flower, as you said. And sure, you know, the match-fixing allegations and the bookmaker thing, it did taint his legacy somewhat. But ultimately, you know, he's quite young and 49 is no age. And then also, just mm-hmm. the fact that, you know, we just a few days ago had a scare where Henry Olonga basically tweeted that we'd lost heat streak and then he hadn't passed and everyone was happy. But now... Turns out that he he has, unfortunately. But yeah. so rest in peace to Heat Streak, and we wish his family and all loved ones uh, condolences. Moving forward, just one final thing in today's show. There's been some women's cricket and there've been some upsets. Yes. And the first one, of course, uh, Sri Lanka's women are touring England and they lost the first T20, but then they won the second one and they won it convincingly. And their all time great Chamari Atapatu, she performed with both bat and ball, scored 55 of 31 deliveries with the bat and took one for 11 in three overs. And, you know, it was as all-star as as a performance can get. She's been that sort of player for Sri Lanka, an out-and-out legend of the women's game. And it's interesting how she hasn't bagged a franchise contract all year, not for the 100, not for Mm. the women's big bash and not for, what's the last one, the women's Premier League in India. So that's quite interesting, right? I mean, why do you think that is? I don't know. I, I, I'm with you. Look, I just think she's obviously a classy player. And sometimes I don't know how women's cricket quite runs at the moment. Hmm. But I would say that there's a few people making a lot of decisions across all of those leagues hmm. based on what I've heard. And I think if that is the case, then I can see why if you're not with the right agent or you're not in the right clique, you could miss out. Hmm. But what I would say is, look, Every time a, a team like Sri Lanka rolls a major uh, women's team like England, it's it's a huge thing for women's sport. Yeah, you know we we need those upsets. We need the we need the teams ranked know, wherever you would have them fifth to ninth, mm. regularly putting pressure on the up. It doesn't mean you know there's a reason why they're not ranked in the top four or five, mm. but we need those teams regularly winning games and putting pressure on. So I think it's a really really important uh, victory from that uh, point of view. And look, she. She made it. She made her game, and then she went on mm. Instagram or Twitter or whatever it was, and yeah. uh, shot it. You know, played another good <laughs> shot, a couple of shots there as well. So hopefully, she does get picked up. Yeah, high and mighty six on Twitter, definitely by Chamari. And uh, yeah, it's great to see Sri Lanka go and beat a very, very, you know, uh, 
stern or no, not stern, but like a very, very competitive and difficult team to beat, particularly in home conditions, because this is the same England team who gave Australia a proper run for their money. In fact, if anything, they were the better team in the limited overs leg of that uh, whole Ashes, women's Ashes. Something else that's happened in the women's cricketing sphere is that Pakistan has whitewashed South Africa at home in a three-match T20I series. And this is kind of a watershed moment for Pakistan women's cricket because they've had these victories before, but now they've become the first Asian side to defeat or whitewash South Africa in a T20I series. And this is like not just any South African team. I know that Shabnam's retired and, you know, so has Lizelle Lee and a couple of other uh, other women, but you've got some quality players in that team. You've got Hmm. Sunelus. Marizan Karp is, is a living legend and so many more like Laura Volfart is also a brilliant player. So these women are the runners up at the T20 World Cup. It's no joke. And the fact that Pakistan has not only defeated them, but whitewashed them, you know, mm. it's, it's quite remarkable. Is, did Mark Coles just step down as coach? He did. <laughs> it's an interesting time for Pakistan women's cricket, is all yeah. I say. Look, again, it's exact. I, I'll say, I, I can almost repeat what I said about the Sri Lanka mine. I, the only difference here is the fact that they won the whole series, which is even yeah. more impressive, right? But, but yeah, from, from a very, fr- from the level of what matters to the women's game now is, I don't mind if Australia dominate. I think you and I have talked about this before mm-hmm. because having a dominant team actually sometimes helps with the narrative and, and everything else. But you mm-hmm. still need the teams below them to continually put pressure on. And this yeah. is more than that, right? Now, you're right. Maybe what we are seeing here is Pakistan playing a bunch of good games at the same time mm-hmm. that perhaps a South Africa influx have turned up. But, yeah. I, I, you know, Sri Lanka, uh, Sri Lanka, South Africa's depth is not particularly that bad right mm-hmm. so from that perspective uh i don't think it's the end of the world but if i'm pakistan i don't care about that what i care about is mm-hmm. that this isn't a one-off victory this is yeah. a series victory which is something very very different and very very important from that perspective so look well done to them and i think again both of those it, it, that's a that to me is a very very interesting development in you know if, if you'd have said that was going to happen to me a week ago I, I would have been a little bit confused. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I no, wouldn't have. I wouldn't have straight away gone. Wait, you know what, what's going on here? It's a that's a big <laughs> week of upsets in women's cricket. We don't usually get that many upsets in women's cricket. To get two hmm. of that size, big. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I would have reacted the same way. I would have never bought it if had someone said this to me a week ago. And it's interesting because you know we just saw Pakistan's women's get better contracts domestic contracts for the very first time so now that for the first time they're going to be professionals and not amateurs and then also you know um this is a team which of course the leadership issues have, have been rampant up top but then it's been a team that was very close to winning games in the last so many years but they just couldn't get over the line and for the first time you know they've scored 150 plus in three consecutive games they'd never chased down 150 in a t20 and they're getting to play these games at home. That's not something that Pakistan's women have, have yeah. had the opportunity it's to do. It's huge, so, right? Yeah. yeah. All of this, these things, the combination of it, I think, is is good for Pakistan women's cricket. And I, I hope that this is a moment where they can rise and, and become at least like a, a mid-level team on the global stage because right now they're kind of lingering towards the bottom, but definite improvement. But I think uh, that's it for this episode of the Uncovered Podcast. Uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. You were listening to myself, Behram Kazi. You can find me at Def Mango on Twitter and with me was Jared Kimber. We'll catch you again next week with another episode of the Uncovered. That's all for now. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. This podcast has an ad-free version via Patreon, where there are many other extras as well, including a Discord channel. 
There's a link to those in the show notes. Please review, subscribe, and tell all your friends about our show. Word of mouth is the best way of making our podcast grow. If we had a guest on, chances are their socials are in the show notes. Please support everyone who comes on this show. I am Jared Kimber, and this is my network. But we also have hosts and co-hosts like Barat Sundaresan and Bayram Kazi. This network is overseen by Nick McCorriston. Each episode is produced by Ishit Kuberka at Sound Potion Studio. The team from 42 help us out with the video side. Orijoti Sainapayi and Maida Akam, both producing podcasts, while Mukunda Bandredi is the head of our YouTube content. Do you make content but don't want to listen to yourself talk? Well, I get that. Memento FM's AI does all the listening for you. It picks out the highlights and it makes you sound far more amazing than you really are. Embrace Memento FM today. Sports Social Podcast Network.